0: chapter 24 now i'm only having you start there because tonight's really about 90 percent of bible study so there's going to be a lot of verses and i'm not exaggerating when i say a lot of things you might be turning to here tonight so just preparing you to get your fingers um, limber there If you're taking notes tonight, you want to remember, I'm hoping that these will spawn other Bible studies that will come out of these thoughts tonight and some of these things that we're going to talk about as our concluding time together here at Missions Month. Um, Tonight I've entitled it um, The Jesus Journey, and we're going to look at that from Luke Acts. He wrote both of those books, kind of a volume one and volume two, continuation type situation, And I want to pose a question to all of us tonight as believers about the Jesus, I didn't say a Jesus journey, I meant the one, and you'll see what I mean specifically in a minute. But the question tonight I want to pose to you is not if you are on the Jesus journey, because I believe if you're a child of God, uh, every one of us are on the Jesus journey, but rather how far are you willing to travel down that road with him? And I'm going to explain specifically what that means tonight. Let me get a little bit more particular in my definition of the Jesus journey, and I'll say this. The Jesus journey is a missionary journey. Um, It's a two-part journey, and so I'm going to give you my framework or my outline tonight about where I'm heading and what I want you to see. Um, Part one is in the book of Luke, and I'm going to show you some common themes and threads and phrases that are used to tie it together, Um, but part one, the journey to Jerusalem, And that's what Luke's gospel is all about. Uh, Jesus is on a journey to Jerusalem. And you know when he gets there, he's going to die on the cross and rise again for our justification. So that's the first part of the journey. And Jesus is on a journey and he's going to ask people to walk that road with him. He's not only going to talk about his cross, but he's going to talk about how we should take up our cross as well because that's what following him on the Jesus journey means ultimately. The second part um, is volume two, the book of Acts. So the first one, Luke, is the journey to Jerusalem, but Acts is the journey from Jerusalem. And you know the big key verse in Acts 1 8, and you shall be my witnesses. Well, it starts in Jerusalem, but it doesn't stay there. All right? And it goes to Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So part. One is Jesus, Jesus, journeying with Jesus to the cross. And part two is journeying with Jesus to the world. All right. So first we're going to take our first traveling. If we we had a, you know, the old, this is how old I am. The triptych. You ever remember triptychs from AAA? You ever get that when you're, you know, or Rand McNally. Maybe that might be more familiar to some of you older folk like me. Right. Um, So the first trip we're going to take is from, uh, Galilee all the way to Jerusalem, all right? Um, in fact, if you want to look at it this way, and, and if you can, I know you got masks and you're a little bit of far away, but I'll maybe get a little interaction from everybody tonight. The whole Gospel of Luke happens on a journey. Just let that sink in for a minute. So many things that happen in the Gospel of Luke happen on or as a result of a journey, can you name it? And, and we're going to start, You think of it, we're going to start with Jesus' birth. Tell me some events that were related to Jesus' birth that include traveling on a road or on a journey somewhere. Yes. Okay, Mary and Joseph have to travel to Bethlehem for this, the uh, taxes, right? But there's one before that. Yes. Yes, Mary goes on the road and she travels to see Elizabeth, who's six months pregnant with John the Baptizer, right? Some other ones about Jesus' birth. Yes? He was, born in a stable. he was born in a stable. That's really good. That's part of the Christmas story, isn't it? Now, the, the other one I was thinking of was, it's not really a Christmas story, but it's put in the same chapter Luke 2 as the Christmas story. And it happens when Jesus is a boy. Do you remember what that traveling is? Yes, he travels. Well, that's not in Luke's gospel, I don't believe, my friend, but that's Matthew. But where, where does he and his parents go together? They go to the temple in Jerusalem, so there's another trip. And then if you go into Jesus' life as an adult, he, what is the first number of years of his ministry? Or not the number of years, but the first number of months in his ministry he travels from place to place all around the Sea of Galilee. Um, all the towns and villages, he travels there. And then, and I've mentioned this a number of times over the last few years, um, Jesus' final journey is, in the Gospel of Luke, is to Jerusalem. And that's called by commentators the travel narrative. And the reason is, and I want to show it to you tonight, is because, if you want to write this down, it's from Luke nine fifty one to luke 1944 that's 40 percent of luke's gospel literally almost half the gospel is about this one last journey and all the events and i actually took time to write them down and these aren't all of them but going through samaria and remember john and james wanting to call down fire from heaven um the cost of discipleship, the three people that said, I'll follow you anywhere, and they, they actually didn't. Sending out the 17, telling the Good Samaritan story, Mary and Martha serving and being upset with each other, parable of the rich fool, beatitudes, all kinds of miraculous things, lamenting over Jerusalem, parable of the three things that were lost, the lost sheep, coin, and the lost son, rich man and Lazarus, 10 lepers getting healed, Pharisee and tax collector in the temple, the rich young ruler comes up to him, He goes through Jericho and meets Zacchaeus, triumphal entry on the donkey. All of those and others are all things that took place on the road. And what Luke wants you to get is all of those events should be interpreted, seen, and understood in light of the shadow of the cross. And this is what Jesus' life and ministry, he's on a mission. And um, I could tell you tonight, and I'm going to say a few of them, here's a couple of things that you want to keep in mind when you make a study out of this, and I hope you will, that in that section, Luke 9:51 through 1944, the travel narrative, there's a couple key phrases that you want to follow. One of them is literally on the road, or depending on what translation you have, along the way, or something like that, those types of phrases. And, and I want to actually show you, in my Bible, when I trace themes of the Bible, and I'll show you a couple more later I start from the very first one, and then I put the reference to the next one, and then the next one, and the next one, and the next one. So the last reference has a reference to the first one. So that I could, anywhere along the way, I could find the whole thing and how it works. Let me show you, uh, if you'll turn to Luke 9, I'll I'll let you do a couple of these tonight and help you figure that out. Let me show you Luke 9 in verse 51. Okay, and this is the beginning of his last, his journey to Jerusalem. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, his ascension, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So you're going to find this key is going to be a little bit of an introduction to so many of the stories between now and 1914 when he cries over Jerusalem when he gets there. All right? Case in point, 57. 957, as they were going, there's our phrase, along the road. See that? Along the road. That's a common thing. Chapter 10 and verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, now again, it's unfortunate sometimes, I'm sure they're not thinking about this, but it's the same exact Greek word as on the road, but they just translate it for variety. But when they mean on their way, as they go on their way, it's not just generally they're walking. They're going to Jerusalem. So this is a story about Mary and Martha you'd want to understand in light of the cross and why choosing Jesus and sitting at his feet is so absolutely crucial in light of that. Chapter 13 and verse 22. Chapter 13 and verse 22. He went on his way through towns and villages. Teaching and, see here it is, the journey. Journeying toward Jerusalem. So all the way along, even though we don't know what happened in all these towns, he's stopping, he's seeing people, he's teaching, he's preaching to them about what he's going to accomplish. 13, same chapter, all right? And then verse 33. He says, nevertheless, I must go here on my way. Today and tomorrow and the day following. Why? For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. So, there, see, so he's telling, you, I, I got to travel. I'm on a time schedule. Today, tomorrow, the next day. I, I got to arrive in Jerusalem at a certain time. Why? Because he's on a mission, right? This is a journey. This is Jesus's, and I'm going to show you in a minute, his mission of must. And so he's journeying toward there, and everything that he's doing has to do with that mission. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. He was taking the shorter route um, that most people didn't do because they didn't want to go through Samaria, but Jesus does. But again, they want you to know, it's like little signposts. It's like, you know when you're traveling on the highway? Okay, 30 miles to this. Okay, now you're only down... 20 miles and five, you know, it's signs. Luke is making signs for you and I to tell you that, hey, look at these events. They all are related to Jesus's mission and what he's after. Chapter 19, in verse 36 and 37. If I have that right. And it says, and he rode along, what the ro- And they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down from the Mount of Olives. So finally he gets there. So all along we've been seeing these phrases, on the road, on the way, along the road. Why? Because they're little markers telling you that Jesus is on a journey. And of course he's got his disciples with him, his followers with him. And it's not just Jesus' journey He's invited them in the journey, and the journey's going to end in Jerusalem, and we all know why he's going there. Another phrase, if I could flip over, just keep your mind in the same place. Okay, this was such an important theme that you may not be aware of it as being as crucial as it is, but because of Jesus being on the road and calling himself, actually, believe it or not, I am the, what, the way the truth, and the life. That was what Jesus said about himself. So he would say, I am the road. I am the path. I, I, I am the journey. And so that was such a vital, important teaching in his life and what he did that the early church's nickname that they had was actually before they became church, a church, they were called The Way. Or we would say The Road. That was a nickname of what Christians who gathered together were called. Let me show you that. Because what started in Luke continues in Acts. Hold your finger in Luke and turn to Acts chapter 9. When the Saul of Tarsus, who later becomes the Apostle Paul, is going to persecute Christians, that's what he, the term he uses to describe the people he's going after. He doesn't say the church. He doesn't say Christians. He doesn't say believers. He calls them people of the way. Let me show you a few examples of that in Acts. Verse 1 of chapter 9. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. Why? So that if he found anyone belonging to, see it, the way. Now in my Bible, the way is capitalized. Um, I think there are a couple that aren't that should be. But nevertheless, you're going to get the idea that this is what they called themselves. These are people that were on the way. People who followed Jesus who was the way, and they walked the road and the path that he walked to be like him. They were on a journey with him, and they understood that that was what their whole life was all about, right? So Acts chapter 9 in verse 2. Uh, let me show you another one. Chapter 19 in verse 9. Well, let me. See. I'll do 19 verse 8. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading uh, them about the kingdom. But when, someone became stubborn and continued, when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way. In other words, they were telling you things they didn't like about the way. Before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. So again, there's another instance. Even ten chapters later in Paul's ministry they're still calling Christians who gather together and what they believe and how they live, people of the way. Chapter, 20, chapter 19 and verse 23, I think, is another one. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. The way is becoming so popular, so many people are starting to follow the way that they're causing problems, at least to little Roman communities. There's no small disturbance, it says. And people are starting to make a ruckus about it because they stand against and different than all the rest of the things going on around them. Chapter 24 of Acts, in verses 14 and 22. Acts 24 and beginning in verse 14. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect. In other words, a lot of people thought the way was a subdivision of Judaism, but obviously it wasn't because they claimed Jesus as Messiah. So he says, which they call a sect. I worship the God of my fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and the prophets. And then if you can just run down to verse 22, but Felix having a rather accurate knowledge of the way. So, So Felix is a secular Gentile Roman governor and, he, and here, he, he would call it the way. That's how he understood it. He, and it says he had knowledge of it. It had become widespread enough that when Paul mentioned it in a conversation or a talk, that he knew about it and was familiar with what they believed and how they lived and so forth and so on. So here's what we find, that being on a journey with Jesus is really uh, the makeup, the DNA of what it means to be a disciple, to follow him, that he's on a road, and that road is a missionary road. It's a journey. And for Jesus, it was going to Jerusalem because for him, his, the culmination of his journey and his mission, and, and I like to use the term mission of must because I'll show you in a minute how that pattern works, but he had, his divine calling was to be our Savior and our Lord and to die at the cross for our sins. So there are a lot of roads in this this section of luke acts um the one that we're looking on but i want you to, i want to make a point and i'll make some application at the end the road to jerusalem is acts 9 through 19 the travel narrative the one we're discussing right now the jesus journey to jerusalem but what you're going to find out and what i want to spend a little time on is is at the end of luke there's another road and we find two disciples on that road anybody know the name I'm sorry? Yes, the road to Emmaus, right? And so what we're going to learn there, and I'm going to highlight in a little bit, is that you think that the main road, and it was the main road, the road that Jesus took with his disciples all the way to Jerusalem to die on the cross, and he walked the Via Dolorosa, which was the road to Calvary. So the road to Calvary is the main mission. It's the one that makes all the other ones make sense. But the road to Jerusalem for Jesus was not his final destination, and neither is it for people who follow him. There are roads that his disciples go on after that's over. And it starts at his resurrection a few days afterward when he goes on the road to Emmaus with a couple of people to extend that. And then, then once the road to Emmaus is done and the great commission it has given and Acts one the, eight, the plan for how that's going to be fulfilled is laid out for the disciples. Now we have this. We have another road, and I'm going to see if you can tell me the story. Um, It's the road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza in Acts 8. What happens on that road? Do you remember the story? Not all at once. You do. I'll give you. What happened with Philip? Yes, he's on the road to Gaza and he was directed to, in fact, the Holy Spirit talks to him and says to him, I want you to go down to Gaza and the road there and you're going to find an Ethiopian eunuch and you're going to go up there and he gives him the gospel and the Ethiopian, on the road, he gets saved. Tradition and history says he goes back to his country, Ethiopia, which is not Ethiopia today. It's, It's a different place, but it was far away for them, Right? Um, and he evangelizes that country and makes a big difference for the kingdom there. But see, on the road. And then Acts chapter 9, there's a very famous person that we've already mentioned tonight who gets saved on a road. Come on, everybody should get this. Yes, Paul gets saved. What's that road? Yeah, no, the street's called straight in the town. But what's the road to? Damascus. Damascus. I got a chance to stand on the mountain, look across. The road to Damascus is not very wide. Maybe as wide as a couple pews, maybe at the most, a couple pew sets at the most. And you could, it, but you can see it wind all the way down and around, where it goes right to the city. you could see Damascus over the hill. But, but on the road again, see here, here we have evangelism, mission taking place. And, and, but catch this: Jesus himself appears to him in a vision. That blinds him on the Damascus road. So here's what we learned. Listen, Jesus's journey didn't end on the road that went to Calvary. It went on to the road that was on Emmaus, and then it went on the road to Ethiopia. I mean, for the, the guy going to Ethiopia, and now it's going to reach Saul, and Saul's going to be saved on the road to Damascus, and he's going to reach the Gentile world. So here's what you see: the road, the journey doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop at the cross. It goes on from the cross. Right after that in Acts 10, there are people coming to see Peter and there's a vision that they have and God says to this guy's name who is, go talk to Peter who's at the house in Joppa and he tells him, go to the road that goes to Joppa. Who is that guy? Cornelius. He's the first Gentile who becomes saved but he has to walk down the road to Joppa to find the message of the gospel and the Lord himself gives them those directions. And then from there, you see Paul picks up the story, and as Jesus, there's a large 10-chapter narrative of his traveling journeys. Chapter 19 through 28 is a gigantic section that talks about Paul's traveling narrative and all the journeys which continued on land and on sea. Because Jesus had to get to Jerusalem, where did Paul had to get to? Ultimately, he had to get to where? Rome, because the center has now changed. Christianity is not just centered in Rome I mean, in Jerusalem, it's gone away from there. That second journey has gone away from there, and now it's to Rome because the Jew and Gentile both need to know about the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel. If you want to write these down, I'm going to say them to you out loud, and if you can write fast enough, they're they're worth writing down. I've studied this now for, I don't know, eight or ten years, Um, and I want to give you some of the information about what it looks like, and I'm going to give you how to study, but we can't do the study tonight. In Luke, not only Luke, but mainly in Luke and Acts, again, the two volumes that we're looking about and the two journeys, the first journey is to Jerusalem, the second journey is away from Jerusalem in Acts. In those two two books, there is a pattern of the main person who's leading the mission, and that word that describes how they go about that mission is must, okay, it's, it, it's an intense word. It means it is necessary. And, and I want to put it together that if you're a Christian, you're on the journey with Jesus. And you have to first go to the cross. You have to die to your sin and self. You have to become completely his. And once that takes place, then you start the second leg of the journey. And that's away from Jerusalem to reach the world. You take the message of the cross that you've lived. And now you're taking that to the world so that they can join in. And how do we live that kind of a mission? Well, the one word that describes it is must. I'm going to give them to you in Jesus' ministry because he lived a mission of must. And then I'm going to give you the ones in Acts because Paul took up the mantle and he lived the same mission. There's so many similarities and he lived a mission of must. But let me give them to you. And again, you're going to have to write fast because there's 22. 10 on Luke for Jesus, 12 in Acts for Paul. All right, let me give them to you. And you're going to know some of them. I... I I could almost quote them all, but I'm not going to risk it. Um, Luke 2:49. Jesus told his parents when they left him at Jerusalem and couldn't find him. Remember, they had to go back and get him. And he came back and he asks his mom, almost like, like, you know, like, what do you mean? He says, don't you know I what? Oh, I must be about my father's business. I must. So let me tell you this. This is a great application. Ready? Jesus was 12 when he made his first statement about the mission of must that he had from God. So this means, what does it mean? It means that you don't have to wait to grow up to be an adult to feel like you're on mission with him. You can do it at least by 12. Right? So that means your teenagers are not people that need to wait until they grow older and graduate high school and get into college. No, you know what? You need to talk to them all their life because Jesus didn't get it at 12. He had mastered it at 12. So Jesus understands fully what he is there to do by the age of 12. He's a sixth grader, if you want to translate into American educational system sixth grader and he's always he's already feeling the compulsion that he can have his parents not around leave and they leave the city he stays by himself for three days because he's on mission wouldn't wouldn't to god that that was how our our kids thought by the age of 12 that they said you know greater than any passion they have is to live out the story of god in their lives from the very age of 12 but that's what happened with Jesus. The next one is at Luke 4, 43. And then Luke 9, 22. Some of these I've already doubled over when you, on the journey part. Luke 13, 33. 17, I'll highlight this one. 19.5. Jesus looks up in the sycamore tree in Jericho and he sees the tax collector, chief that is, tax collector, Zacchaeus. And he says, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. And then what's the next phrase he says? I must stay at your house today. You see what the movement, the, the must does for his life? It takes him through places he normally wouldn't go, to lunches and meals with people he normally wouldn't sit with and were looked down on like tax collectors. It takes him to John 4:4. I must go through Samaria, he said. It takes him to places that were looked down on, people that were outcast socially, religiously, financially, economically, morally, gender-wise, in every other possible way. Luke 22 7, 37, both of those, 7 and 37, he says, "'The Son of Man must suffer many things.'" See, if you're on mission with Jesus, here's what it does. It controls the priorities in your life. It controls the directions of your life. It controls the associations of your life and why you do them. Listen, and it also controls your responses to all the things that everyone else would say would be catastrophes in your life, all the things that would go wrong. And you'd say, wow, that is a disaster. Jesus says, no, for him, he knew it because he expected it because it was a must in his life. He saw suffering as part of his mission. So listen, there are so many things that if you live this life of, of mission of must, if you're journeying with Jesus to Jerusalem on the cross, it changes just about everything in your life. How you think about it, the framework of it, how important it is, who's part of it, how you see people, how you deal with them, how you respond to the things that go wrong, almost everything in your life is touched by it. And then la- lastly, in Luke, last two, Luke 24, 7, in Luke 24, uh, twenty four forty four when he's talking about the scriptures and again he shows them how he must do things and it was written in the prophets and in Moses and Torah and all of the Tanakh about who he was and what he had to do. The story doesn't stay there but it picks up in Acts And the vision of the mission of must continues. But this time it's not Jesus doing it with his disciples. It's the disciples doing it with Jesus. And along all these mission of must statements that include the Apostle Paul and going to Macedonia and a shipwreck and all the places he went and the horrible things that happened to him. Now Jesus had discipled all those disciples of his on the journey. And now that he's ascended, but yet he still appears on the road all throughout this story of Acts with them to let them know that though they are going for him, he is still with them. So again, Jesus' journey really didn't end in Jerusalem. He wants you to keep walking with him, past the cross, past Jerusalem, into the rest of the world. That's how he sees what it is. And so he characterizes what the church does, mainly as Paul's its leader, with the same exact terminology that he described himself with, And Luke, and that's the word must. Let me give those to you. Acts chapter 1 and verse 21. They had to choose a replacement for Judas because Jesus discipled 12 people to start the Great Commission. They had to put that together for the sake of the mission. Acts 3 and verse 21. Let me highlight this one. You know this one. Acts 4 and verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, Peter says in his sermon. Can you finish it? right for there is no other name under heaven given among men by where we what we must be saved that's the mission getting people to on the mission of must to realize they have to get saved in order to know god chapter 5 and verse 29 we must obey god rather than man so when they were confronted by the government with things that were trying to restrict them or they were saying they couldn't do anything in jesus's name they had to make a choice and the choice was based on the mission the mission of must helped informed how they respond in civil disobedience. Chapter 9 and verse 16, Jesus says to Ananias, go and see Saul on the street called Straight. He needs to be baptized, and and you will tell him and show him all the things he must suffer for my sake. Jesus had to suffer. Paul has to suffer. He must suffer, because he is the new picture of Jesus on the road in the new church chapter 14 and verse 22 through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom Acts sixteen thirty. what does he tell, tell the jailer believe what you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ he said what must I do believe in the Lord that's it even jail is an opportunity see even in, when you're on the mission of must and you're journeying with Jesus even when you get thrown in prison and you've been beaten and your, your feet are thrown in stocks and, and you've been tortured till, and you're midnight, you're singing praises, and, and he's still evangelizing, because that's how he sees everything on the mission. 1921, 20 verse 35, 23 11, 27, 24, and 26, the last two major uses, chapter right before the end When Paul's on a shipwreck and he says, Don't worry, God, Jesus appears to him. He says, Paul, don't worry, because as you had to go to Jerusalem, he says, You will stand before Caesar. Don't be afraid, you must stand before Caesar. God has it all under control. See, that's the whole thing. If you would look at the New Testament and look at all the promises God made and how He protects you, did you know that most of them are given to people who are Christians, who are following Jesus and on His mission? A lot of them are not just given generically so that you can live any way you want. No, God says, I've got all these things that I'm doing because I'm directing every piece of your life, every part of your life. See, your job is really about your mission. Did you know that? Paul said in Philippians 1, verse 12, the things that have happened unto me have happened unto me for the furtherance of the gospel. So you know what he said? When I get thrown in prison, it's for the gospel. And palace guards were getting saved. So when you go to the hospital... You know what it's for? Nurses and doctors to be evangelized. Do You know when you're in the grocery store, it might be that you get to invite someone to church. And you know what? The neighborhood that you live in, the people that live by you, you know what it's for? Because they're your mission. That's why you're strategically put in that neighborhood. Now, too often we do it accidentally. We just think that we're there and that's just happened and we took the job because it's a great pay and has good benefits. Those are all results and nice added bu- bonuses. It's not the reason why we do things. Right? The reason why we do things is this, because I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission of must, and it drives and motivates everything in our lives. And Jesus is with us on that journey. So let me put it together to you in the last few minutes. The two journeys are, we're traveling with Jesus to Jerusalem, that's Luke. And then we're traveling with Jesus from Jerusalem away into the world, Those are the two things. Now, the bridge between those two journeys, I want to concentrate the last five minutes, is the road to a maze. So we're actually going to look at Luke 24 real quickly. If you'll go back there, Luke 24. Jesus is walking down the road, and he comes across two disciples. Does anyone remember what the guy's name was? Because the the other person's name isn't mentioned. Cleopas. Someone tell me what you know about Cleopas. You're not going to say anything because there isn't anything to know. Now, he, catch this, though. You remember what I told you? Jesus is going to travel on the road, and you're on a journey with Jesus. You're a believer. Now that road, that destination of that road is going to go into the end of the earth. That's what he says at the end of Luke 24. That's what he says in Acts. And on and on. So you're going to be on a new journey. So, The fact that Jesus died and rose again as resurrected has changed everything. And by the way, it ought to change the destination of what your mission was. It ought to change what you get up for and stay up late for and what your priority and how you spend your money. It ought to change everything in your life, too. That's the whole point of it. Because these two disciples are walking down the road. And get this. They're not Peter. It's not James. It's not John. It's not Matthew who wrote a gospel. None of them. It's a guy named Cleopas. Seriously? Cleopas. There's no biographies written of Cleopas. Nobody knows anything about Cleopas other than maybe he's a relative of someone. His name, a form of his name was used earlier in the gospel, but we're not even sure it's the same guy. And then, and then the person with him doesn't even get noticed. No name. It doesn't tell us who it is. Now, I'm gonna, real quickly, I'm going to tell you what I think. I think it's his wife. And the reason why... I think it's his wife because, let me just give it to you, because it's a fascinating study. I'm going to give it to you so you can do it on your own. Ready? Write like crazy. Get your turbo pen out. A pattern in Luke's gospel is men and women put together in the same situation. And there's a point to it, a couple of them, I'll tell you. Okay, let me give you examples. Luke chapter 1, the story of Zechariah and the story of Mary are put side by side when the angel comes to them. In Luke chapter 2, two older people meet Jesus in the temple. One is Simeon, one is Anna, man and woman, side by side. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus heals a man possessed with a devil, and in the next very next paragraph, he heals Peter's mother-in-law. So again, a man and woman, back-to-back stories. In chapter, Luke, uh, chapter 7, the, story, the real story is Simon the Pharisee has Jesus to his house. Simon is terrible to Jesus. It's the unnamed woman of the city streets, who washes, takes her hair and, and the tears on, she does, she treats Jesus right. So again, man and woman, same situation. Luke chapter seven, he heals the centurion servant, who's a man. The very next paragraph, he heals the widow's son, the woman who is downcast and socially outcast, her son. Chapter eight, you have travelers with Jesus, his disciples all by name, and then he names the three women, Mary Magdalene, Tuna, and Susanna all of them are named men following Jesus traveling on the road with him women as well Luke 13 and 14 a man who's crippled is healed the next story a woman that's that's crippled is healed Luke 23 and 24 you can tell me this one who's at the foot of the cross when Jesus dies and any guys there who is it John a man at the cross who's also at the cross Mary, mother, couple other women, right? So again, same situation. Man at the cross, woman at the cross, side by side. How about Jesus' death when they go to the tomb? Who goes to the tomb? The ladies go first, and then who comes running afterwards? Yes, yeah, same situation. Men, women, side by side. When Jesus raises from the dead, who is the very first person? to be able to see it's Jesus, woman, right? But later on, Jesus appears to men. Again, men and women at his death, at his tomb, at his resurrection. It is the pattern, and I didn't even tell you all the stories of men and women side by side in the book of Acts. I didn't even give you that one because Luke's pattern is complementary. Men and women equally used by God in that sense who are followers of Jesus and I think that Luke's story on the Emmaus Road is just another one that fits into that pattern. Here you have Cleopas, this guy who would he be walking with down the road in the middle of the day, maybe going to where they live. I would say this. I would say it's his wife. And that's probably a reason why they don't mention his name. I hate to say it, ladies, because they didn't deem it always that important. But Jesus did. Luke wants to us to know that he's elevating women because that's what he learned from Jesus. And in the story, you have a man and a woman Side by side, and Jesus says, see, this is what I look for. This is the kind of disciples that I think want to extend the story. Now we're walking away from Jerusalem. We're going to live the Jesus journey and the mission of us. But you know who my main people are going to be? Not apostles, not named people, not some great theologian scholar, not the rich, not the mighty, not the ones who are all well-known. You know who it is? Some guy who's very ordinary and his wife who doesn't even get her name in the scriptures. Great news for you and I, isn't it? You know how Jesus extends the journey that he has you and I on through people whose name are Brent Brent Right? And then Lance. Like where do you ever hear that name? Crazy, right? And guys like Dave and right? And Chris or Charmel. Right? Nobody knows us. We're not nationally known. We're not writing books. We're not Huge churches. that's not us. But you know what he says? But that's who I've chosen. People like that are the ones that are now taking Jesus' story, joining him on it, and extending it to all the ends of the earth. That's what it's all about. Can I close and I'm gonna give them to you because our time is up? Five questions. How do these two journeys relate to each other? I'm just gonna tell you them. All of life is about Jesus. All of it. Because everything's about being on a journey with him. And all of it's about following him. So you could say all of it's about Jesus and discipleship. Number two, all of life, therefore, is a mission. All of it. All of it. The car you drive ought to be considered, how does that fit into your mission? The house you live in, where that is, where your kids go to college, how much money you spend on certain things, what are you going to live like in retirement? Are you going to live retirement to take it easy? Or are you going to live retirement so that you could be even more effective and more time in the mission? Everything is touched by it. Christians need to be more on mission like with Jesus. Churches need to be more on mission with Jesus. Last, I said the death and revela- re- resurrection of Jesus changes everything. And lastly, can I tell you this? Isn't it not blow your socks, blow your mind, that Jesus is on this journey, it's life-altering, it's world-changing, it's the most important journey ever, and he's invited you to join him? That doesn't blow your mind? That every day... I don't get just to go up to a job I like. I don't get just to hang out with Christians. You know what it is? I'm on a journey with Jesus, the same one that he was on, the same mission of us that the the, the apostle Paul himself was on, that the early church was on. It's what we're on. That's our mission. That's why Faith Baptist Church exists. Did you know that's why you exist? That's why you exist. It's not something you do. It is something you are. We are on mission with Jesus. And that mission is from here to the ends of the earth. And it should tackle and touch everything in our lives. The question is, again, not if you're on the Jesus journey, but how far on the road are you willing to travel with him? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for just the overall view of Luke and Acts and the framework that it gives us how it changes the destination of where we think our life should be going and what we should be doing and what matters most. I pray that for our church. I pray that for our families. I pray that for individual Christians here in this ministry, that the mission of must would get a hold of us like it did Jesus, like it did Paul, like it did the early church. And through that, we might make a difference in this world with that very gospel, reaching all the nations for your glory. Help us do that the more